We made it to From Downtown, episode 21. I know what you're thinking. What? what? No more fake IDs for us at the club. All right. This is From Downtown. And as always, it's Nevin Brown, and I'm joined by... James Piercy, just loading up my stats on basketball reference, so I'm ready to talk when it's time to talk. In this episode, we're going to... We're going to talk about some awards predictions and we're talking about who we think are going to be the top four teams in each conference and who's going to meet up in the NBA finals. I know you might be saying, aren't these types of episodes, shouldn't they happen before the season starts? And I will respond, has the season really started if the Bulls are 4-0 and they've only played bad teams, right? This is preseason extended. Do we all think that the Lakers are going to be one of the five worst teams in the league? Maybe only the most optimistic Clippers fans do, or the most optimistic Pelicans fans do, because they're like, uh, do we have their pick this year? We might have a swap. But yeah, so awards predictions, I think, are actually better at this stage in the season for one simple reason. We aren't good at time management, so we finally got to it at this time. So I want to make it seem like our biggest weaknesses are actually our greatest strengths. But also, it's nice to have a few games to kind of see how guys fit in, how they're playing. Maybe someone's added a few new tricks to their bag, and it allows us to overreact to small samples. But before we get into these awards, we're going to try something new. So, James, what's this What's this like idea where people talk about just topics on their podcasts and we don't take forever? What is this? What is this madness? <laughs> I thought... We could just keep it a little broad this week. Do do something a little different where I have two uh, impressions from the season so far that, that are particularly on my mind that I want to talk about. I want to see what your opinions on them are. And then from that point, we can talk about a couple of impressions that you have from the season so far. And Sounds that's good. that's the concept. Okay. That that seems it seems like a good idea. I'm just really scared that one of the impressions I wrote down are gonna be one of the impressions that you wrote down and we'll be in this situation where like hmm great minds well, think alike how, how about this i'll go first okay and, uh if if i nail one of yours then you only get to bring up one and that's uh that's how it works is that that should be the game for each episode where we're just constantly trying to think what each other will bring up and just knock it out yeah <laughs> right yeah Re read my mind yes read the name of the segment What's yours? What's your first one? Hit me. Hit me with your best shot. <laughs> I want to talk about <clears throat> the Indiana Pacers because I'm finding this team a little bit confusing right now. And I wonder if you might have some idea of what's going on in Indiana. Uh, full disclosure, I've watched half of a Pacers game so far this year. So <clears throat> my eye test isn't very strong. However, there's something weird going on. 
Malcolm Brogdon, as of right now, is averaging 23.7 points per game, seven rebounds per game, seven assists per game. Those are like Clyde Drexler numbers, you know, like, like <laughs> it's right. Like he, he is having a ridiculous season. DeMontis Sabonis is pretty much right on track, to, like to meet last year's production. Roughly, he's averaging 21.6 points, 11.4 rebounds, 4.2 assists. Finally, rookie sensation Chris Duarte or Duarte. How, yeah. how do you say that? Well, since he's a uh, Dominican, it's Duarte because uh, in Spanish, you pronounce all of the vowels in Spanish and you're usually good to go. Right. Yeah, sure. So Duarte has been fantastic. He's averaging 18.6 reasonably efficient points per game. Why are the Pacers so bad? They're, they have a middling offensive rating and a middling defensive rating. I, I, I don't have the exact ratings in front of me, but I checked last night and they're both like yeah. somewhere, in the, somewhere in the 20s. What's going on? If all these guys are playing well, why are they so bad? Do you have an explanation? Well, it's early in the season, right? So we're, we're reacting to four games. And I think one of the things we got to remember is that when you're reacting to four games, there's, or five games in their case, there's the reality that like one bad game or one good game can kind of skew the numbers. So if we look at them, it's like, their first game was against Charlotte, who's like a good team. And they lost by one point, right? Okay. And that was overtime. Their next game, they lost in overtime against the Wizards, again, by one point. You know, the Wizards are like a pretty good team, right? Like, I think I, I was pretty high on them. I thought they were going to be at least 500 or around 500. And I think they look like a lock to be over 500 if they keep Beal all season. Then they go and they play Miami and they spank them. And like, Miami's been really, really good. So if, loss. Yeah. And so if we look at their first three games, we go, okay, they've played like three quality opponents. Then their fourth is against Milwaukee and they lose by 10, but Milwaukee's been up and down, but, and then they get spanked by Toronto by 18 in Toronto. I don't know. Right. Like I would just say, what's up with this team. Their first four games are against good teams. Two of them, they lost by a point and they split against, against Miami and uh, Milwaukee. So I wouldn't read too much into the offensive and defensive ratings right now. I think the bigger concern would be, yo, like how is this team going to like figure out Miles Turner and Sabonis? Because no one's been able to figure that out. And you're going to get presumably, was it TJ Warren? And you're going to get Karis Levert back. How are you going to fit those guys in? So it's like, I look at it, it's like, look, this team could easily be three and two and they would have basically the same advanced metrics because all they would need to do is like prevent one more point and score one more point. They're three and two and we're like, okay, like this team is what we thought they are. That would be my response. What do you think? Yeah, that makes sense. That, 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 that definitely does make sense. At the same time, I would say that it feels a lot like what often happens in Indiana, which is where they have these talented teams with, with guys that put up numbers and they just don't get the wins. Like you, you, they've had a reasonably hard schedule so far. That's true. But there's no real excuse for getting spanked by the Raptors last night. The, the, the Raptors have been bad, you know, and I agree with you that the Wizards are solid and they're locked to go above 500. But when you look at the pieces on this Pacers team, like that, that's another win that they probably should have gotten. In my opinion, I just feel that, it's, it's the same story with Indiana year in, year out. It's like they have all these talented players 
but they're usually pretty unimpressive. Maybe it is the fit between Turner and Sabonis. Uh, may, maybe, but but see, the thing is, is the fit between Turner and Sabonis should hurt them on defense because Sabonis should be a plug at the four, but the defense has been like fine, not atrocious, but well, I mean, it hasn't been glaringly a defensive issue anyway. They've been pretty much mediocre on both ends of the floor. They're 25th in defensive rating. Okay, they're, they're, 12th, okay. they're 12th in offensive rating. That would be that changed as of last night. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, you know why that changed last night? Because they got fucking spanked by Toronto. And here's the thing with Toronto. As much as Toronto is not a great team, I'll just say this. If Toronto has like a hot night from three, which is even bad offenses can have, they're they're gonna be really, really hard to beat because their defense is going to be good every night. I'll say this. I agree. I think their stats of their their top players are like good and we should be looking out for it but like let's remember that like malcolm brogdon's averaging 23 points a game on 28.6 percent three-point shooting on five and five and a half attempts per game he's shooting well from two-point range he's getting in the line and stuff but we're talking about it's like brogdon's been really good but like he's probably if he keeps up at this volume should be better (laughs) right like if he's shooting 33 percent from three-point range this team is three and two. Yeah. Yeah. And he's averaging like, he's averaging like 24, 25 points per game. I think the other thing is they're a confusing team, but they're also kind of having to prepare the team to play with two additional significant pieces within this season. So they're kind of one of these teams where I go, I just don't really know what to make of them, but the defense is going to be the issue. And I think the defense probably would have been, you said the issue coming into this season, just because it's like Sabonis needs to be a center, but he's not a good defensive center. And Miles Turner needs to be a center and he is a good defensive center. But if you have both of them out there, you kind of like take away a little bit of what makes them good on either end of the floor. Well, yeah, I think Sabonis at the four is especially problematic on defense. Like you can't, you can't get away with, 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 putting a slow put a guy at the four anymore because there are too many fours that uh get their offense by shooting threes or penetrating from the perimeter right like like Sabonis he could he could handle guys on the low block if we had a league full of Carl Malone's and Charles Barkley he he could be a four but we we don't right uh he he needs to be a center even though he's not a good defensive center he's an even worse defensive power forward I think is the problem and look, it, it's all it's all small sample size right now. I wouldn't overreact to it, but I'm looking at their their numbers and I just go, you know what? This is a team that's missing two key components. And it looks like their biggest issue right now is that they have a pretty good starting lineup and a really bad bench. And you add two NBA players, like real NBA players, and suddenly their bench becomes pretty good. And maybe their starter is just a little bit better. I think that's all it is. I think. This is a team where like two of their eight best players aren't there. Yeah. Okay. And, right. and, yeah. and they've had, and they've had admittedly a tough opening schedule because as much as like the Raptors have not looked good at times, this is a team that has a net rating of plus 4.9. Yeah. They're two and no. three, right? Like they, they have played like, I could, I'm just going to tell you, he'd have the best net rating in the league. Right. Uh, Hornets, eighth best net rating in the league. Raptors, ninth best net rating in the league. Wizards, fourth best net rating in the league. Bucks, 16th best net rating in the league. You know, it's like they've only played top half 
of the league teams who, at least in the early going. So like, I think that's what it is. Like we, we assume that they're going to be a 500 ish team and they're two and three against teams that are probably going to be above 500 or, you know, have been playing like that. Like that, that seems kind of in line what we would expect. Right. So, so let me ask you one last question about Indiana. What, what are your expectations for this Pacers team for the season? They're going to get those pieces back eventually. I have concerns that Karis LeVert is, is a difficult player to fit into any, like he's not a plug and play player. He's ball dominant. He tends to be low efficiency. He's very talented, but I'm not sure if he's actually going to be a great fit with the pieces that they do have. TJ Warren, on the other hand, is much more of a plug and play guy. Uh, he's an efficient shooter. He's an off ball player. What, overall, what are your expectations for when they are at full health? So my expectations are they are going to use Karis LeVert probably as like the bench guy. And then you kind of figure out like of the starters, which guys play best with him. And I think that's what you, you just figure out because I think Karis LeVert, I don't fucking like, like as a player. I, I don't think he's a, I think he's one of these dudes where he is a good basketball player, but he is a bad basketball player. for your team right like there are guys that are like good individual talents and then they're like they just the way they play isn't gonna facilitate winning because when you're your game is like you're really good like isolation score for that to be valuable for your team to win if you want to be a starter at least you have to be so fucking good at that that like you're one of the you know 25 best players in the league practically and he's not at that level but he plays like that so he's perfect for just being like our bench offense is going to stay afloat and i think you know if their bench has been the problem you throw them in there and say take a bunch of shots there are going to be games where you're like the bench is getting killed but like if he's not out there that's going to be the case a lot of nights anyways but then there are going to be games where he just carries the bench and you win the game because your bench outscores the other team's bench by like 15 points that's kind of what i see with him and then you know Warren, I don't even know if they need him in the starting lineup, but Rick Carlisle is smart. I think the issue is like 30 games into the season, I think we'll know what what the plan is. And I would guess it's going to be three of the kind of the starting quality guys in the second unit and then four of those guys in the starting unit. If I was Carlisle, I would consider having the bench be Turner, Warren, and Levert that being your bench unit and then based upon how those guys are playing like you figure out your closing unit each and every night my only concern with that i i like a lot of what you're saying i think that if miles turner is going to be on your second unit then you kind of have to trade him because he's he's not a multi-positional player he can really only slot in at the five so he's too good to play like 20 minutes a night you know what i mean he it it, it seems like a bad allocation of resources to me i, I would suggest that if you're thinking of running miles turner off your second unit you're better off trading him for i don't know exactly what but like like a like a facsimile of him and and another scorer slash another spacer you know like i'm not suggesting play him 20 minutes i'm suggesting start the game with him on the bench but then the majority of your minutes are still gonna have that twin towers formation if you're gonna give him starting level minutes you know what i mean like like there's no way around keeping them both and not playing them together I was looking at their 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 PBB or their yeah their PBB stats on off their offense so far this season they've only been on the court together for eighty one minutes all right and 
Now they've only not had one of them on the court for 13 minutes. What's interesting is when Sabonis is just on the court and Turner hasn't been, they've been a really bad defense, but they've been like an elite offense, 120 points per hundred possessions. When Turner's on the court and Sabonis isn't on the court, they've been literally fucking brutal. Like when I say brutal, it's, it's been 41 minutes, so it doesn't matter, but they're at 98 points per hundred possession and they're giving up 127 points per hundred possession. But when they're both on there, they're at a 101 offensive rating and a 103 defensive rating. The 103 defensive rating is good. Like, like I think defensively it's working. It's, it's the offensive rating that isn't good. And I'll just say, you know, I don't know how much we should buy into that seeing as the team's shooting 25% on three point field goals when they're both out there, that probably won't continue. Um, it won't be that bad, but at the same time, it's not great floor spacing with them both in the lineup. Sabonis is really not a great three-point shooter. Turner is a good three-point shooter for a big man, but he's not like an elite three-point shooter in general. You know, when, you, when you've got effectively a non-shooter at the four, it's not ideal spacing. And it's certainly not ideal pacing, uh, which I think is a bigger concern. But I, I just, I think we've been talking about whether these two guys can play together for way too long and, and it, whether smoke is fire. Like, you've got to trade Miles Turner. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough because they, in theory, they should complement each other, but in practice, they don't. And I think that's the problem where if you're a front office, you want to kind of, see, you want to see if that's really the case. And, you know, it's, it's been played out that it probably, they probably can't share the court effectively in the way that we feel like they should, but that's the reality. And at the end of the day, it's like, Hey, like if you trade Turner, you'll get a good package anyways. And Indiana like loves like they are like they love having a bunch of pretty good NBA players and you could probably get one or two pretty good NBA players and maybe a draft pick out of them from a team that feels like they're a Miles Turner away from a championship. I agree. Okay. Let's let me give you a question because we spent way too much time talking about team from fucking Indiana. (laughs) I don't know if you've ever been to Indiana, but like Indiana. No. Sorry, people that listen to this podcast from Indiana, but your state is not very interesting. Here's here's what I'm going to say. James Harden, what gives? So my feeling is I've been hearing a lot of people being highly critical of James Harden. They're talking about the new free throw rule. And I think the new free throw rules, like, you know, maybe cut like, you know, two or three free throws from what you would expect from him. But a lot of it's centered around, oh, like he's not being aggressive he looks out of shape. I kind of feel like people are one, like, I don't know why this is, but people really like piling on James Harden. You know, no one came out and talked shit about Damian Lillard the first few games of the season when he played like crap after demanding a trade, kind of. So I just kind of want to get your feelings. Like, James Harden, what gives? Like, is, like I think he's going to turn it around, obviously. But like, what's up with this? What's up with this bullshit on James Harden? Yeah. So first of all, uh, this was my other topic. Uh, so you you won this round of, of beat me to the topic, uh, which, which is great as far as I'm concerned because we we have a tendency to to talk at to large extent, and so uh, that's that means one less topic. I, I'm I'm totally okay with that. Well, my um, next topic is a pretty is a pretty good one. Well, I got no more left, so this is. Uh, so that's what I'm saying. It's 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 got like two parts to it, so it's perfect. It's perfect. Right, it's okay. like we actually get four topics through three. Right. There you go. For three, yeah, four for the price of three. I, I do want to touch on what you said, which I have been rallying about for years, which is 
that it pisses me off how Dame Lillard is consistently held to a different standard than James Harden for some reason. When Harden was on the Rockets, any year that he didn't, you know, win 82 games in the NBA championship, every year that that didn't happen, so much shit piled on him about it. Whereas Dame, there's just no expectation. It's like, if he wins a playoff series, everybody celebrates it like, oh, this is really a generational guy. And I, I, I do not understand it except for that Dame is a more likable person, which I understand. You know, he's a conscious rapper. He's got the clutch gene. He, he He's well-spoken. I, I, I like Dame too, but yeah, Dame time. Uh, ultimately, it's, 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 it's bogus, man. Harden uh, is a little better and he's always been a little better. And for some reason, he's the, he's the poster boy for criticism and Dame is, is the golden goose, you know? But I will say in regards to what's going on with Harden, there are a lot of explanations. There are a lot of reasons why he might be having a bad year. Well, he's having a bad year. He's getting older, man. He's getting to an age where some players do start to decline. That's a reality. All he's players co- start to decline at this age. What's that? All players start to decline. And yeah. It's, just, it's, just, it's, just right. the, it's the depth of it that is like the thing it's just it's a reality right okay but so he's at an age where players start to decline he's also coming out the first major injury of his career uh so we don't know how he looks coming off of a major injury maybe it's not good and at the age of 32 it might be irreparable you know finally he doesn't have Kyrie there the the team is kind of not that great outside of Durant and Harden so he's kind of back to playing on a team that's not all that talented and then finally uh and perhaps most significantly i think are the rule changes because yeah it's only knocking three or four free throws per game off of his uh total but i think it's changing his attack in in general a a lot of the moves that he would rely on are out of his arsenal so it's not just the free throws that he's not drawing it's it's like the threat to draw those free throws that no longer exists uh, I think is is gumming up his offensive game significantly. You know, he's probably going to end up looking better at some point in the season. He probably will turn it around to an extent. But we might have seen the best of James Harden. I think it's possible. What do you think? So so I think, well, no shit, we've seen the best of James Harden. <laughs> um, he's past the age of 30. And his age 29 and 30 season, he averaged 35 points a game over the course of two seasons. So like, yeah, no shit. Like, and that's not like an insult to him or an insult to you. It's just like, of course, we've seen the best of James Harden. We saw the best of Kevin Durant when he was 25 years old, you know, and no one is like Kevin Durant's a scrub because he was at his best when he was 25. It's just that's basketball. That's aging. I will say, I think the rule changes have affected him a little bit. And I do agree that like it changes his plan of attack. It And it's it's less that like I think it really hurts him in re- reality, but I think it hurts him mentally and like what he's willing to try to do right now as he kind of feels it out but the dude's shooting 33 percent on three pointers right like this is a career 36 percent three-point shooter if he was shooting closer to his career average we it would it wouldn't look so weird so i think part of it is that i also think the other thing is is that he's coming off a hamstring injury and i've heard people say he's out of shape and if you haven't had a hamstring injury that's been bad or you haven't like had a hamstring injury really that's like real or if you haven't had a hamstring injury and like had to then come back and play at like a very high level of a sport you fucking don't know what you're talking about about this injury and i pulled a hamstring in college 
was like out a week or two. And then I, I came back and started playing and it was like way too soon, but like the team, the team needed me. Right. My hamstring, like that was like eight years ago. My hamstring is like still not great because I didn't have enough time to rehab it. And I kept playing through it. And like, it still gives me issues. If you have like a hamstring injury, it's good. And they forced him to come back when he shouldn't have. And like, I do really think him playing in that series was, is what's caused his early season issues, but hamstring problems, you have to just literally do nothing and let it heal. So if we think about it, Harden is way behind in like his off season preparation. And so I think he's kind of having to go through that. So if he was doing this shit in the, in the preseason, would we care? No. I think right now it's just his preseason and the whole, he looks out of shape. He's not getting by anyone. Look, man, like if you've had a hamstring issue, it's, it's the meant to mentally get to the, like, I can fully burst off this hamstring without it fucking popping is not the easiest thing to do. And it's especially not easy when you're James Harden and you go, fuck, like I need to be able to hang in here to an NBA championship. I need to be able to play like a hundred games this year he's kind of pacing himself in the early going and trying to like slowly tease out what he can do. And I think as he gets healthier, people are gonna be like, Oh, his burst is there. He's got finally gotten the shape. It's like, no, like he's finally like trusting that hamstring. And once that happens, he'll start drawing more fouls just because you get more fouls, the closer you get to the rim and he'll start hitting his threes and they'll get Kyrie back. And he'll look fine. I, I just, I think it's one of those things where it's like, people don't understand, like people go, Oh, hamstring injury out six weeks. He'll come back and you'll be the same. No. And if you think that you've never actually had that injury and then had to like come back and play on it. I, I, I agree with most of what you're saying. I'm going to nitpick you on a couple of points. The first one being you're right. That Kevin Durant was at his best, you know, when he was like 25 right yeah. but you're only just barely right and i think that's somewhat significant like he so far this season looks about as good as he's ever looked his decline has been so gradual that it's barely noticeable right whereas harden looks like he's fallen off a cliff now i agree with you that that's probably because he, he he's not really ready to trust that hamstring yet i think that that's probably true but at his age you do have to worry a little bit that by the time he's ready to trust that hamstring uh he is gonna be too old you know like like this year is the year like this is the year for Harden. this is the window uh he's not getting better in his age 33 season you know like uh if if the hamstring takes all year to fully recover fortunately that hamstring had a significant effect on the tail end of his career you know i will say this to the kevin durant did peak when he was 25 and this year isn't even close he took 20.8 shots when he was 25 per game. He's at 20.8 shots. When he was 25, he averaged 32 points. He's only averaging a little under 30 this season. Pathetic. I mean, I, I get your point, Kevin Durant, but also like what I will say is 2013-14 was a less advantageous offensive environment than 2021-22 is. So if you like look at it based upon like the league average scoring, that 32 points per game like looks significantly more impressive. Not to be a big ass nerd, <laughs> but no, no, no. That's a great point. But I, I still think my point is just that, like, yes, Durant had, he's has declined, but he's only declined 
Like the decline has been a lot more gradual. He hasn't fallen off any cliffs. He's, he he's still off, a look, top two player. Look, James Harden, before he ever had hamstring issues, would have five game stretches where he wasn't that good. And then he would have like months That's where he true. averaged 40 points per game. Look, the Nets had massive expectations. Even when Kyrie left, people said these are title favorites. Katie's looked good. Harden hasn't looked as good. People are blaming the Nets poor start on him. And why? Because people can't talk about basketball in any logical way. And I think it's just, it's a, a thing where it's like, well, Harden's never won anything, blah, blah, blah. And he's fat and he's lazy and he's out of shape. And that's why they're losing. It's like, no, like the dude's coming back from a hamstring injury. Hamstring injuries can really fuck you up. And I think the Nets really screwed up when they had him play in that series on one leg because he wasn't doing anything outside of delaying the healing process and potentially making it worse. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Okay. So I have a question for us and it's a two-parter. What team's early season success should we buy into? Which shouldn't we? And also like what teams that have played like shit should we buy into and which shouldn't we? So that's like about four teams for us each. I don't think we need to talk about it too long because I think it'll be pretty self-evident as to why. But I'd like to ask you, what team's early season success should we buy into? Teams we should buy into? Yeah, uh, like that. Like their early season success is like, this is a going to be a good team this year. Yep. I mean, I, first of all, I, I would buy into the success of the Utah Jazz. I, I don't think that's a particularly hot take. Uh, I, no, I know, I know. It's not. But, but it's, it's not, true. right? I mean, they, they, they were supposed to be good, and they're good. They have the best net rating in the NBA right now, and that shouldn't shock anybody because they have the best rec- – they're the second-best net rating in the league right now, don't they? But, okay, yeah, oh, the Jazz had the second-best net rating, and that's about what we expected from them, right? They had the best record in the league last year. We, we will see if they can carry it into the postseason. There, there's hope around the organization that – the acquisition of Rudy Gay is going to be really significant uh, insofar as they'll be able to play small when other teams play small. So Rudy Gobert is not going to get stuck on an island again. And we will see if that works. But we expected them to be great in the regular season, and we, we should be buying into the regular season success. I would also buy into the Miami Heat success. I wasn't quite sure what to do with these guys coming into the year. But, you know, they're a really nice, well-rounded, balanced team on paper, and they're 3-1. and one. I think we can bank on that to, to sustain itself. So I was going to say the Miami Heat. So you said two teams and one of them was going to be, thank you. <laughs> so I just wanted to point out the Miami Heat have a defensive rating of 92.3. That won't continue. But for the listeners that don't know about defensive rating, people teams haven't had like 92.3 defensive ratings since like the Pistons were winning back-to-back championships. It was like, it's almost been like two decades since like a team could do that over a full season because offense has gotten so much better. So I was not sure if Miami was going to be great, but I think even if their offense, which has been middle of the pack, is middle of the pack, if their defense is going to be historically good, like I think we can buy into that. They have the like the right pieces. They have, they can like run lineups where like you can't score at an NBA level. So that was a team I wanted to buy into. And, you know, they, they, they crushed the Bucks and all that stuff. But I, I don't know if they're going to be – I don't think they're the best team in the East, but I think it's – their defense is real to me. And it's real in a way where I don't give a fuck how many points they score. They can, like, literally hold any team under 100 points. And if you can do that in this, in this 
current iteration of the NBA, you're 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 going to be win a fuckload of games. Okay, so what's a team that we shouldn't buy into their early season success? Before, and sorry, you before you say the obvious team for the obvious reasons. Okay, just I. <laughs> All right, so we uh, we uh, the obvious team with the obvious reasons is obviously the Chicago Bulls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, uh, that's th- that hardly even needs to be spoken about. They've only played bum teams. Uh, I I think one thing that's interesting about the Bulls, I think, even though you said before you say, but I'm going to talk about them, is they've got one of the best defensive ratings in the league so far. Uh, they've got a middling offensive rating. Now they were supposed to be an offensive team. So you can look at that defensive rating and you can try to make up basketball reasons why it's happening, but it's pretty obvious that they have an elite defensive rating because they play bad teams. It, it, well, it just... there's, there's also the, the bad team they've somehow been able to play twice already are the Detroit Pistons. Yeah. And, no, but I, I'm going to tell you some numbers that are going to fucking blow your mind. So I remember I was saying like the Miami Heat have like an insane defensive rating of 92.3 points per 100 possessions. That's amazing. The fucking Detroit Pistons have an offensive rating of 90.5. 90.5. Yeah. Well, 90, I mean... 90.5. The second worst offense in the NBA is somehow the Brooklyn Nets on a per 100 possession basis, but they're at 100.8. Yeah, wow. Like, it's a 10-point golf. That doesn't, like, that's... So, look, I might put it this way. The fact that they don't have the best defensive rating or close to it, or I guess they do. I guess it's kind of close to it. But their defensive rating to me is – it doesn't matter because they played that team. Yeah, exactly. If I was a Bulls fan, I would be concerned. Who gives a shit about 4-0? Their offensive rating sucks, and that's how they're supposed to win games. When it comes time for them to play good teams, that's how they're supposed to get it done. It's concerning that they don't have a good offense yet. It's it's like 13th that's at 108 points per 100 possession. But once again, they played shitty teams. So the fact that it's not top 10 against their schedule, I think, is definitely yeah. a concern. And, and, and never mind, for this team to be successful, they need a top five offensive rating, right? Yeah. Right, yeah. So the, uh, to me, the, it's really obvious with the Bulls. Uh, we both knew right away. Can I bring up a team whose early season success I'm not sure whether to buy into yet or not and, and buck the trend a little bit? Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. I guess, you know, if we're going to have yes and no's. There's also maybes. There's always room for maybes. The, the Minnesota Timberwolves, they are three and one so far. They have a talented team. There's a lot of young talent on the team. There's two former number one overall picks and, and D'Angelo Russell, who I know you're not high on and I'm not <laughs> high on. But like, maybe he's been, well, he's also been apt. Like, this, this, uh, um, <laughs> so I actually am really high on them this season because I go, I don't fucking like D'Angelo Russell. I don't think he's any good, but he's been fucking ass and they're three and one. Like he'll be better than he's been, right? Like, I don't think he's good, but he's been absolute ass. I I would say, you know, of all the teams that like early season success, like maybe buy into, I think they're one of them. Like they're not going to win 75% of their games, but like, as you'll see, I'm pretty high on them. Like, I think they're a really good team. I love Cat. I think Carl Anthony Towns has been awesome like his entire career and we never got to them in our in our uh quickly ended season previews divisional previews what's your over like what's your ceiling floor for them in terms of win total i'll just say we'll get to them later 
Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. So, so yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So, <laughs> yeah, you're pretty high on them. Yeah. I, don't, I, man, I just I, I get like buying that much yet. Dude, Cat is a top like Cat is like maybe a, I think he's like a top ten offensive player. Their defense has been pretty solid, which I thought was the big concern. Anthony Edwards, I, he's overrated because he's a high volume scorer, but like he's good and he's a good second option next to a guy like Cat who's super efficient. And they're three and one. They beat the Bucks. D'Angelo Russell, like they beat the Bucks with Giannis scoring forty. Like I'm just saying, I, I think I, I'm pretty high on them. And D'Lo has been horrible. And like as much as I think he's a bad NBA, not bad. As much as I don't think he's a good NBA player, I know he's not this bad of an NBA player. So even if there's some regression from Cat or Ant, there's gonna be a you know some positive regression for D'Lo. God, they have so many good. So many good short little nicknames on that team. Cat, Cat, and D'Lo. It's like uh, a it's like a rap group, honestly. It is. It is. The only thing that concerns me about Minnesota is the depth a little bit. First of all, if if Cat gets hurt, they're boned. But I guess that's true with any best player on any team. But the depth is a little bit hurting behind the top guys. There's some rotation. Let me look at their team and and who uh, is leading in minutes per game because I feel like there's some guys on this team who are getting heavy run, who really aren't that great. And, and, and I worry about that. Even though there's a lot of talent, I think they're going to be a winning team this year. I think they should sneak into the playoffs or at least the play-in. But I'm not ready to buy the idea that they're like, that they're going to get home court advantage in the first round, for example, uh, which obviously you are, and I respect it, but I'm not, I'm, I'm not quite there with them yet. Let me just take a look. Look, man, they got, they got some like real fucking, they got some real NBA players. Patrick Beverly's been really good. In a short time, he's good depth. Jared Vanderbilt's not a horrible player. Anthony Edwards is also one of those guys where it's like he's someone that you can potentially see in-season improvement from, which is realistic, seeing how young he is and how much he's improved already in his NBA career. So, like, if if he keeps improving, which I think is a possibility, this team's going to be good. This could be the best Minnesota Timberwolves team in a long time, I have to say. There's no denying that. Malik Beasley has been awful so far. He's shooting 22% from deep. They've gotten to this record without actually playing that well on offense, which I think we both agree is probably going to be better than their defense. Yeah. Do do you know how Carl Anthony Towns is shooting this year? Um, Well, I'm looking at his true shooting, and it's 69. Nice, (laughs) 0.3%. So... That's awesome. He also has a 6.9 block percentage. Like his defense has been good. He is shooting, uh, he's shooting 6.3 three pointers a night, and he's hitting 52% of them so far. Yeah, dude, he's fucking amazing. I, I, I had a friend who's like, I don't think Carl Anthony, I don't think he's like a, a great player. And I'm like, dude, Carl Anthony Towns is fucking a seven foot Larry Bird. Like, I don't, like, he, sh- he can shoot like Larry Bird. Like, what? And he's seven feet tall. I don't fucking, we don't need to make this complicated. He's, he's awesome. He's just an awesome basketball. (laughs) Anyone that was slandering Carl Anthony Towns to me, it's just like, yo, like if you're going to like judge basketball players based on how good is their team, you don't have the ability to judge basketball players. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Whose success are you not buying into so far? Well, obviously the Bulls, but a, a team has been a nice little success story that like I don't really buy into and maybe no one's really buying into it but the cleveland cavaliers have been pretty good 
They have a positive net rating and they're doing it running out the most fucking bizarre lineup in the history of the NBA. They're running out Jared Allen at center, Evan Mobley at center, Larry Markinen at center slash no, power forward. And then they're, I think they've been using the Sexland backcourt, who are like both tiny defensive liability guards. And neither one of them is like a true point guard. Uh, I would say they're both more combo guards. So they're basically a team that's playing with no point guard and two centers and a power forward. And it's kind of working. Yeah. Like I'm not buying into it because they're the fucking Cavs. And I just think that like teams will figure out a way to exploit this lineup. And that's not great. But I, I really wanted to bring him up just because Kevin Love's actually looked pretty good coming off the bench for them. And I think a lot of people thought he wasn't going to play it all this year. And the Cavaliers are doing this, this novel approach that like, I, I kind of commend. They're like, we're going to play our five best guys <laughs> at the yeah. same time. And just, it's going to, and it's worked out. Okay. And I'm like really happy because in the, one of our, in the preseason, when they signed Markinen, I was like, why not just play Markin at small forward? Him, Allen, Mobley, like, why not? Like, he's a shooting guard on offense anyways. So I'm not necessarily buying this success too much for the same reason that you pretty much identified that is that I think teams are going to inevitably figure out how to exploit this. Like, if three seven-footers was a viable way to play basketball, teams would have been doing it for a long time. I, I think that a lot of times when teams try to buck trends by doing things that are so far outside the box, it can have short-term positive it can yield positive results in the short term because teams don't know what to do with it but in, in the long term it, it, there's a tendency for it to get exploited like they're going to eventually have to play a real nba team you know like 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 start a real nba starting lineup with with some semblance of regard for for positions and, and what they mean like i just think no they don't they're not trying like they're not trying to win this season like like why okay they- well if they wanted to i mean you know yeah yeah i think the idea is like hey like we want these three guys to get minutes this year. All right, let's let's just fucking give them minutes. Yeah, but long but long term, why do they want all three of them to get minutes if they're not going to be able to keep them though? Because one, if you're not going to be able to keep them, and a guy is coming off the bench for the Cleveland Cavaliers like Kevin Love, their trade value isn't great. So yeah. part of like the and also the other thing is like, hey, if like marketing goes out there and like plays well next to like two seven footers and like does okay on defense against wings that increases his trade value right like if teams are like well he seems like he can play well next to a center and like he can hold his own as a small forward like maybe he's got like more defensive utility than we anticipated and if he has more defensive utility than anticipated he's a valuable trade chip also if you look at jared allen you're like oh he's like playing next to like two giants and only one of them can shoot maybe like he fits with another more traditional like power forward guys thriving or doing well enough in shitty circumstances has its value for trade value because it can convince a team that you he's doing pretty well in this what if we put him in a good situation what if we're the team to finally turn this guy around and turn him into a superstar and that's all you really need is to have one team think that they can do it better than you yeah okay yeah no that was actually one of those questions that as it, as it came out of my mouth i was like Oh, I know the answer to that. Yeah, they, 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 yeah. you know, they need to showcase their talent. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. But in in terms of this season, do I think the Cavaliers are going to make a surprise playoff run by playing three centers at the same time? I, no. I do. 
No, fuck no. I do, I do not. Okay, let's do this second part of the question. Who's been bad and we're buying into and who's not been, or who's also been bad, but we're not buying into it. Let's quickly go over that. So who's been really bad this season that you are 100% buying into them being bad? Them being bad. Well, I mean, do, do teams that we knew were going to be bad count, right? Because... Uh... I mean, sure. Like you could say it's like, like for instance, like you could say Oklahoma City Thunder are and the Magic are going to go after nine wins. Yeah, I I, th- I think that's that's very possible. <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> like the the Pistons and the Thunder have have been bad, and I and I thought they'd be bad. I mean, I'm gonna uh, first thing that comes to my mind is I'm gonna buy into the Pelicans without Zion certainly as a bad team. They're, they're one and four, and they look like a one and four team to me on paper without Zion Williamson uh there's serious lack of offensive talent on this team Brandon Ingram is an excellent second option but Brandon Ingram as a first option accompanied by Devontae Graham and Jonas Valanciunas is not very inspiring uh I know Nicholas Alexander Walker has been really good so far but they're one and four for a reason and 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 I I think that this team without Zion Williamson has a very low ceiling that that's my main answer otherwise I'm a little bit agnostic on the Lakers right now. I, I, I don't know what to expect. I can't believe they blew a 26-point lead to the Thunder last night. I but uh, withhold my judgment a little while longer on the Lakers. Uh, what, do you, what do you think? So a team whose bad start I think we can buy into in that they're going to have problems is I'm going to say the Lakers. Like, I, I really think it's like – because he, this is the thing. People go, oh, like they'll figure it out in time for the postseason. Okay, but you know those 82 games between the start of the season and the postseason, they fucking matter. They like there's a point where you can't just be figuring it out and you need to actually start getting results. Lakers have looked really bad. Russell Westbrook has been really bad. To just illustrate how bad he has been, I want you to hear what his box plus minus is right now. It's negative 5.5. He's at negative 0.2 value over replacement player. It's hard to put up that much negative value in five games, right? Like he has been so bad. He has basically been costing the team points. His offensive box plus minus is negative 4.7. Somehow his defensive box plus minus is only negative 0.8. The guy's got a 23% turnover percentage. He still can't hit threes. I just I just look at the and his free throw shooting. This is the other thing. His free throw shooting has been 47%. This dude has the yips at the free throw. Like he is he's not good anymore and you're in tr- like he's supposed to be your third most important player. I think what we can buy into is that LeBron and AD are both awesome. But this is a team that's next best player is a negative. I don't think they're a negative 3.3 net rating team for the rest of the season. I think they'll end up with a positive one. I just think 538 had it right when they said this team's closer to the play and than they are to a home court advantage. And I think that's true. And I think we've seen that because it, once again, it's like even if they do figure it out and they turn out to be like one of the five best teams in the league by the end of the season, they're two and three. Yeah. No, like, you know, I just- those losses still count. I just feel like I can't rule out a uh, mid-season surge where, where everything clicks. You know, maybe maybe the schedule softens a little bit and they, and they exploit that. Like, I, I, But I agree with you so far as the two and three start indicates that they're going to have problems. They're, they're going to have problems. This 
this doesn't like work in the way that something that intuitively works uh, yields positive results right away. This is not one of those things. Like there, it's going to require adjustments and sacrifices. I, I think their best course of action is probably to try to maximize the amount of time that Russ spends with the second unit. And tell him that. Tell you tell him that. Listen, man, I, I hope LeBron James will be the one responsible for telling him that because like this isn't working. I, one thing I really feel is the conventional wisdom has always been, always, that you surround LeBron with spacers. And there's there's good reason for that. It's because it makes sense on a basketball floor when you think about it, you know? And it's the same for us. So, yeah, of course they're struggling. These two players don't fit together. Like, as much as you can aggregate talent and hope for the best, there's something to be said for fit. Like, like the pieces have to fit together to some extent, you know? You couldn't take the five best centers in the league and, and make them your starting lineup, even if they're the five best centers in the league, you know? If Giannis, if Giannis is considered a center, let's just do it. Okay, so Jokic could be running point. Jokic is running point. Embiid playing as your, your true center. You get a Vooch as kind of like a floor sp- you, with the how talented centers are, I feel like you could you would have you would play at a really slow pace. But All I right, think you could, I think you, you could maybe do if you have the five best centers. I think you could maybe do it. I think it would be better than if you made a team of the five best point guards. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's say that then the five best point guards. I I, I agree. I agree. I, I I I'm just I'm spitballing here, but you know what I mean. Like there there, there has to be some semblance of a fit. Like yeah. at the end of the day, the, the problem is that Russ doesn't do anything to enhance LeBron when they share the floor, right? Quite the opposite. Just not ready to rule out the possibility of them, them figuring something out quite yet. There's too much talent for me to say that I am sure that this team won't finish the season with like the third seed or something like that. You want to hear some on-off numbers about Russell Westbrook and the Lakers? Yes. Are you ready to hear it? When Russell Westbrook is on the court in 181 minutes, the Lakers have a net rating of negative 9.3, an offensive rating of 107, and a defensive rating of 116. When Russell Westbrook sits in those 64 minutes, they have a net rating of plus 14.7. That would be like 0.1 off of being the best in the league. 115 points per 100 possessions, 100 defensive rating. They're like an elite team when he's not on the court. <laughs> yeah. Part of that might be that, you know, there's been some garbage time, but like, no, I it's don't know. Probably because they're not a good fit. It's because he's not good. All right. Let's move off of making fun of the Lakers and just very quickly, what's a team who's been poor that we think will turn it around? And we don't, we don't need to talk long about this because I think there's a few teams that have been poor to start the season that we're pretty confident will turn it around. Yeah, I think the Suns are the most obvious choice, right? They're one in three. I thought the finals run had a whole lot of luck baked into it. I really did. But at the, same, at, at, at the same time, they're better than a 25% winning percentage, right? So Phoenix, to me, is the answer that jumps off the page. Other than that, I would expect the Celtics, who you were higher on than I was, and I've been right about so far, let it be said. But uh, I, they're going to be a you know, winning team. The two and three yeah. stars is, is not reflective of what to expect from them. I think definitely the Celtics will be better. I, I think the Suns will be better, but I think we both agree. I was saying they'll probably win over 52 games. I don't know about that now because they've been really bad. Yeah. 
the Brooklyn Nets, I think, are the most obvious team that haven't had a great start that I think will be better. But I'm going to go with my favorite team in the NBA. I'm going to go with the Denver Nuggets. They have a negative 1.6 net rating. I think they're going to be really good this season. Jokic, thankfully, just has a knee contusion, so he'll be back. Jokic has been awesome. And as long as he is, like, this is what sucks. He he probably will have an MVP quality season. And if the Nuggets, like, don't have the one or two seed in the West, he won't win the MVP again. Because the fact that he won it last year, people kind of were like, I don't know if he deserves it. Look, like, Jokic had one of, like, the all-time best seasons ever in the history of basketball. And that's why he won it. And that's the only way you can win an MVP if your team isn't, like, the one seed in your conference. So that's that's a team that I think will be better because their defensive ratings actually been pretty good this year. It's been the ninth best in the league. It's their offense that's struggled. And it's basically been when Jokic isn't on the court, they haven't been a basket, an NBA quality basketball team. And they'll figure that out. I'm assuming because they have some guys as I'll get into later, because I'm high on them um, that, you know, we'll turn it around. concludes episode 21 from downtown part one we'll have a second part up in short order where we'll go over the awards picks pick the top four teams in each conference and most crucially pick who's going to meet in the finals please remember to like rate subscribe and tell some people about part one and hopefully they'll want to listen to part two Thanks so much. Until next time. You could be white and blue, but don't prep the road. See, my is universal if you got knowledge of Dolo or Del myself. See, there's no one else who could drop it on the angle. Acute at that. So, do that, do that, do that, that, that. Come on.